Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. We're in our series called Stephen's Last Words as he's giving a a defense before the Jewish council, kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. He's being charged with undermining Judaism, undermining the law, undermining the temple. And Stephen really doesn't give a defense as much as he is pointing the finger at these Jewish leaders for their hypocrisy in rejecting the messengers that God has sent to them through the centuries, including in the present time of of Christ when Stephen wrote this. Uh, Instead of drawing near to God, the Jewish leaders kept people from God with their man-made rules and narrow views that God only worked with his people when they were in Israel or when they were involved with the temple. And up to this point, uh, Stephen has used the Old Testament characters of, of Abraham and Joseph. Now he's introducing Moses into the picture. This is actually divided up into three parts. Each part kind of segmented by 30, or excuse me, 40 years. And we know from Deuteronomy 34:7 that Moses lived to be 120. Uh, the, the first 40 cover his upbringing in Pharaoh's house. The second 40. Uh, Here in the Sermon of Stephen, starts with his rejection by the Israelites through the period of his sojourn into Midian. And then the final 40 years starts with God's call of Moses at the burning bush uh, through the period of Exodus and his wilderness wandering. I, I think it's encouraging that it's really the last third of Moses' life that you kind of see him taking off in his leadership. So uh, there's really no retirement when it comes to God using us. We're going to read verses 17 through 29. That leaves us another section about Moses that we're going to cover next week. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When God originally promised Abraham back in Genesis, He said that he would bless Israel, and he would bless Israel in multiple ways. He would do it by giving them a land. He would do it by multiplying the people of Israel. And he would do it by cursing those who came up against Israel. Now, Israel was, in fact, oppressed. And we see this through various seasons throughout the Old Testament and even as Stephen was speaking, because they were under Roman rule. And what Stephen is trying to communicate is, though, even though you go through these times of oppression, that God is still going to make good on his promise. How many of you go through times and you wonder if God is going to make good on his promises to us? We all do. We all have felt that. We see, in fact, this piece of history from Exodus 1.22, 
has God raised up Moses to deliver them from Egypt. But this is what was happening. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews shall be cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now, even though Pharaoh was at this time practicing population control with infanticide, God was still faithful to keep his promise to Israel. And Stephen recaps this period of of Israel's history to show that God does not go back on his promises, even though there's this season of oppression. I mean, when we go through periods of difficulty, we are prone to think that God has left us. We are prone to think that God does not love us. We are prone to think that God is not looking out for us. But a long view and a view that looks back at the history of how God has treated his people, we realize that God does in fact keep his promises. Listen to these passages about God's promise. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass, Joshua 21, 45. Listen to this from the psalmist. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. And then 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him being Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the rest, all the security that God had promised Israel find their fulfillment in Christ, ultimately. I love how Stephen recaps the difficulties of Israel when he says, the time of the promise drew near. Again, we're tempted to think that God has forgotten about us, but the time of his promise draws near. You may despair that God doesn't care about you just because he's allowed you to go through a trial. You may utter words cursing God. You may be depressed about the fact that, or you think it's a fact that God has left you. But faith says the time of his promise draws near. He will show you his love. He will show you that he's been there all along, even through the travail. He will speak to you. He will supply to you what you need. Maybe your spouse has gone AWOL. The time of the promise is drawing near. Maybe you have friends who have come against you. The time of his promise is drawing near. That is not some hocus-pocus, wishful thinking, you know, positive mind trick. That is faith planted on the unchanging character of our sovereign God. That is who he is that he keeps his promise. He has promised us that he will not give up on us. He has promised us that his love is never-ending. And his promises are true before the trial 
in the middle of the trial and after the trial. God kept his promise with Israel by sending Moses. And God used Pharaoh's own daughter to rescue Moses, who would then grow up to lead God's people out from Pharaoh's oppression. In fact, according to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, there was a tradition that Moses was so beautiful a child that when he was carried down the street in his nurse's arms, people would just stop to gaze upon him because he was so lovely. And he was so brilliant, a young lad, that he surpassed all others in the speed and eagerness with which he learned. The rescue of Moses, listen, involved more than just his preservation of his life, but God also providentially placed him to have the best education possible within Egypt. God clearly chose Moses and had his hand upon him. Acts 7.22 adds that Moses was also mighty in words and deeds. Mighty in words. Remember what Moses said when God said that he was going to use him? When God was calling him? Exodus 4.10 says, But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. I am slow of tongue. And now we see Stephen characterizing Moses as mighty in word. God took that human weakness, real or perceived, by the way, and he supernaturally energized Moses. And God was honored by that. You know, I want us to take note, though, that Moses did not know of the supernatural activity of God without walking into that uncomfortable unknown. See, we can't let our weaknesses keep us from entering where God is maybe leading us to serve. I mean, there are, there are certainly legitimate reasons to say no to opportunities that we may have, but let it not be that our view of God is too small or that our will to serve is too weak. One of the greatest Christian leaders of the past century has been John Stott. He was rector of All Souls Langham Place in London. Peerless preacher, Bible teacher, evangelist, author, a global leader really for the church. And I had the pleasure of actually hearing him several times. Os Guinness, who was a close friend, tells a story of when he was at his bedside as Stott was dying. And he asked Stott, how could I pray for you? And lying on his back, barely able to speak, he uttered in a hoarse whisper, this is what he said, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. I mean, that, that is to be the passion of our prayers that I will be faithful to Christ until my last breath. See, with, with that kind of heart, then when those opportunities to serve come where God is calling, we are eager to go because our trust is in him. Uh, yeah, sure, I have weaknesses, but you know what? God is calling me, I'm going to be used. It's interesting as you look at Moses and you look at how the New Testament writers speak of him, that he was faithful to God over pleasure and earthly pursuits. We read this in Hebrews 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Notice that it was faith that preceded Moses in operating, in in moving, in responding to God. By faith, he refused to be identified with the rich Egyptians. By faith, he chose to, to please God. By faith, he was not afraid of the king. He endured. And we have faith that God will use us, that we are not limited by our own weaknesses. And these are the objects of our faith, and that that is a a precursor for enduring service. Stephen goes on, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside and said, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. What Stephen is doing is recounting a story from Exodus 2. We read this. One day when Moses was grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Egyptians were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. He didn't want it to get out that he had killed an Egyptian. Well, it did. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian as he sat down by a well. Now, Stephen gives us some insight into this Exodus story that was not in the original text in Exodus. By intervening with the Egyptian, Moses assumed that his act would be appreciated His people would see him as a a protector, as a deliverer. And instead, after breaking up a fight between the two Israelites, the next day, he is criticized and he is condemned. I mean, it was the Israelites, is it not, who benefited from the intervention of Moses? But they rejected Moses. It's at this point, that I think many people give up the good work of enduring faithfulness. I mean, it's one thing to be faithful when things are going well. It's one thing to be faithful when there's no opposition. 
when you are appreciated. It's quite another to be faithful in the face of criticism and antagonism. I think if there's one thing that will torpedo endurance, it's expecting other people to appreciate you and notice you. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And we all do it, do we not? And we set ourselves up for great disappointment. God was using Moses to help his people. The man who called Moses out, and I think Stephen is is saying this, because it, it was typical of Israel. They preferred bondage in the known in Egypt instead of the unknown land of freedom. And Moses certainly had time in Midian to lick his wounds, but God was not finished with him. And many leaders leave their posts, retreat because of criticism. Now, listen, all of us are blessed by appreciation. And I think all of us are responsible to show appreciation to other people in our lives. But we cannot create an expectation that hinders our relationship with others or make appreciation our motive for why we're doing things. I mean, you can just write it down. You can count on it that if you lead anything, there's going to be criticism and some condemnation, right? No matter what you do in any venue, that's going to be part of the gig. And all of us here could probably recount stories of hurts and offenses, especially when it comes from those closest to you. There are people who will pledge their loyalty only to alarmingly disappoint. And listen, my friends, the hurt that you experience in those moments, that's never the end of the story. The hurt is merely an opportunity for God to remind us of the futility of our fleshly ways and our expectations and our constant need to rely upon Christ to see him as our security and our strength and not the approval of others. Again, it's not that we shouldn't show appreciation. It's just that people are going to let us down in any venue. Stephen recounts the question posed by the Israelite to Moses. Who made you ruler and judge over us? See, this was not lost on the audience. That that question that was posed to Moses, Moses was the divine leader that God had appointed. But Stephen is saying it to his audience there to this Jewish council because why? Because Jesus was God's Messiah. Jesus was who God sent, and you're rejecting him. See, you and your brothers rejected them both. Let us notice that God was not through with Moses after his failure in leadership. That God was ready to do great things through Moses after bringing him down 
he would lift him up to lead his people. Maybe you feel like that a past failure puts you on the shelf. You cannot envision God using you. Listen, when your focus is on the character and the power of God, we see that no human failure can usurp the sovereign hand of God. Listen, if there was a secret to how Moses endured through all this adversity, consider a story about him in Numbers 12, verses 1 through 4. Here, Moses is getting criticism from who? From family. Okay? Again, those closest to you. I mean, I'm so thankful for a wife and children who are supportive. It would be so difficult not to have that, right? Here's Moses, brother and sister, come up against him, criticizing him for who he married. And later in the passage, God calls out Miriam and Aaron for their criticism, for not supporting Moses. But let's read and see how Moses was able to handle this opposition. Listen to this. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? I mean, nothing like undercutting his calling, right? Uh, Has he not spoken through us also? Hey, we get this vibe. And, uh, And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. That is quite a statement. More than anybody on the earth. He was meek. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the rest of the story is, you know, God took them to the woodshed. Moses had a steady calm from knowing that God had his affairs under control. Moses knew, listen, Moses knew he did not have the capacity to control his circumstances. He did not have the capacity to control people's thoughts about him. So he chose to trust God, to sustain him, to guide him, to protect him. He waited on God to do all of this. And that was the the locus of his faith. It was not that Moses was stronger than you or me. In fact, I would say this. It was that Moses knew his limits to his own capacity. And that is what made him meek. He didn't consider himself so important that he expected other people to cater to him. Right? Other people better get in line and thank me for this tremendous leadership that I'm providing. Because if they don't, I'm going to (laughs) quit. Right? He looked to God 
for his protection, for his security, and his future. And by faith, and Moses lived by faith, he faced opposition and rejection. You will face opposition and rejection. The choice is, do you want to face that on your own, in your own strength, or do you want to face it understanding that God is your strength, is your security? That's where you seek your approval. It's not that it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying we have ironclad feelings and it doesn't impact us. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, yes, it hurts, but ultimately we see the need to go to the Lord, but we understand that God is our security, that we can still get up and perform the task, the calling that God has for us. We endure. Endurance would be wouldn't be anything if there was not opposition. But it was this rejection that Moses had that made him an example to Stephen and caused Stephen to compare him to Jesus and then to turn right around to this Jewish council and say, you are responsible for this rejection of who God has sent to you and your people. Did they bow down and thank Stephen? Did they show great appreciation? Did they get in the line and shake his hand? Did they give him a plaque for best sermon in what would this have been, about 6 AD? No. They didn't do that. What's the opposition you're facing? What's the the task before you that maybe you are considering running from or maybe you already have. And endurance is your last option. Maybe God is shining a light, showing that you've not been operating with meekness. You've been operating with this expectation of having others prefer us, appreciate us. It's a hard thing to kick. And I'm not going to sit here and give you a secret of how you can be meek other than just bowing before the Lord. Because it's a supernatural work. It's a work of humility. One thing's for sure, you'll not last. You'll not last in a marriage, in a ministry, with any good task that God has you at, in the face of opposition, unless you can understand the importance of this idea of meekness.